Yeah, I guess so. Good morning. <laughs> We're still trying to catch up. It was a, it was a good week away, but uh, it was a long, a lot of long hours, little sleep, and... Uh, but we're really excited about our trip, and yeah. we're really excited to be back here with you guys. So, we missed you, family. We yeah. <laughs> so we're where are sneak we? Sneak around. We are in week two of our Win the Day series. And um, what are we trying to learn? Well, we're trying to learn how to stress less and accomplish more. So what does that mean? Well, instead of obsessing over our past or worrying about our future, Let's set out to simply win today. There's another, there's another book that I was thinking of. There's a uh, Navy SEAL admiral who wrote this book. Um, what is it? The first thing you do, you make your bed yeah. in the morning, yeah. right? That's the first step to winning the day. Um, Ryan Hall was a two-time Olympic champion. He said, tackle your long-term goals by winning the moment in front of you, right? Let's focus on what's in front of us. So, um, and of course, the, the author of the series that we're, the book we're looking at, Win the Day, Mark Batterson, uses biblical principles right from Scripture to help us do this. So last week, well, last week we talked about flipping the script. Um, we learned that perspective is everything. Um, if we want to change our life, we have to start by changing our story. It just made me think, you know, so many of us, and we even talked about it in our men's group last, uh, yesterday, so many of us are not real satisfied or happy about some of the things in our past, right? Because we all have failures. We all have faults. We've, we've I'm not going to say we. I've messed up relationships. I've messed up um, opportunities with my kids. I've messed up opportunities with my wife. So I'm not happy about that, <clears throat> but I can't change that. What I can do is focus on today. And then we learned about that last week, the Israelites. As God was leading them away from Egypt, out of the oppression of Egypt in numbers, right? Um, how did the Israelites experience or um, accept, acknowledge the deliverance that God was bringing, right? They talked about, thank you. In Numbers 11, they talked about how... Um, they were suffering um, as they were on their journey, eating the manna. And then, but, but back in Egypt, right, they were eating meat and they were eating cucumbers and all these fruits and vegetables at no cost. But what is, was it really no cost? They were being ruthlessly worked and ruthlessly oppressed and enslaved people. But God was trying to bring them to something new. And yet all they could focus on was that peace in the past that they were getting at no cost. <clears throat> so I guess the, the, the story there is we may not be, um, we may not like our previous or our, the story of our past, but God, God offers us a new story. God offers us a new identity in him. <clears throat> so this week, the habit that we're going to talk about in, for winning the day, okay, you ready? Kiss the wave. So when I, first, when I first read this, I was thinking, kiss the wave, right? I hope I'm doing this right, you know, the surfer dudes in California. But it goes way, way back further than that. Back to the 1800s, um, there was a, a preacher, an English preacher named Charles, Charles Spurgeon. 
and he was, he was a, a, one of the greatest pastors and evangelists ever back then, um, his ministry started out with tragedy. He was preaching to, in a place that, you know, to thousands of people, and a fire broke out. People died, people were hurt. His ministry almost ended there. He almost quit. One of the quotes from Charles Spurgeon, I have learned to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. So what could our lives look like if we learned that the obstacle was not the problem, but it was God's process? So today, we're looking at one of the obstacles the disciples faced. Those disciples. We talked about them yesterday, too. Those 12 guys, right? They were hanging out with Jesus 24-7. They were watching Jesus heal and, and just minister to people, and yet they still struggled. So earlier in Jesus' ministry, the disciples, of course, they were still trying to figure this out, right? And if we could bring up uh, Mark 4, 35 through 38, we're going to read that together. That day, when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just as he was, in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat, so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Tag. So it says that a furious squall came up. Now, I want to remind us that several of the disciples were professional fishermen. They were out on this lake for their livelihood. Little storms didn't scare them. This furious squall was so much that they were a little bit more than scared. The passage says that they were nearly swamped. Luke, the account in Luke says that they were in great danger. Nearly swamped. In the Greek, it means to be completely swamped, completely filled up to the limit, to capacity. In other words, the boat that they were in was no longer acting as a device that floated on the water. The boat that they were in was nearly to capacity filled like a bowl full of the water it was supposed to be floating on top of. In other words... The disciples were up to here. <laughs> they were at their limit. They were literally about to be completely overwhelmed and underwater, literally. <laughs> ever been there? Anybody else in their life ever feel like they can't get their head above water? Well, let's look. How did the disciples react to being nearly swamped? Did they stay calm under pressure? Did they cry out and ask for help? I think we look at this passage and in a quick read, we're like, well, yeah, they woke Jesus up and they asked for help. No, no, they didn't. Back up and look at that again. Not only did they panic, they lashed out. They didn't in a panic say, Jesus, help us. They said, wake up, wake up. Don't you even care about us? We're gonna die. Don't you even care if we drown? 
So I want you to go back to that time where you've been nearly swamped. How did you react? Fight or flight? A little of both? Anger? Despair? Did you lash out? Or did you reach out for the rock of ages? Did you reach out for God? Why is it when we are going through the worst of it, we can tend to think that God doesn't see or doesn't care or isn't paying attention? I mean, can I ask you, was Jesus any less aware or was Jesus any less in control just because the disciples thought he wasn't paying attention? Was Jesus any less in control because he was asleep? I think the first thing we're going to have to look at if we want to really grasp this biblical principle and this principle that Charles Spurgeon outlined this, that helped him recover from a devastating blow where he almost didn't get up off the ground to become one of the greatest pastors of his age. If we're going to learn how to kiss the wave, then the first thing we have to do is when the storm comes, we have to figure out if we're going to lash out at God or we're going to reach out to God. Because it's kind of the same motion with a completely different heart, right? You see, the first key to winning a stormy day is having the right response. Pastor Rick? The right response. The right response. The right response. Or we could also... Say, we also have to face the waves, not fight them. Because guess what? Our human tendency is to fight them. Our tendency is to struggle or try to conquer those waves. Could drown you like, just like fighting against a riptide. And I'm, I'm thinking, and Caleb, some of, the, some of the stories you tell us on your trips, when your places, and I say, Caleb, why did you do that? But then I'm going to tell you guys a story because there was this young guy named Rick many, many years ago who was deployed. Before me. <laughs> was deployed to Cyprus. <clears throat> and um, the coastline of Cyprus, right on the Mediterranean, there's these tall, tall cliffs. And one day, the guy I was there with, we're walking along the cliff line, and we, we look down, and we see this cave down by the water. The water's going in it. And we're thinking, oh, that would be really cool if we jumped down into the water and swam in and explored this cave. Well, it was probably 30, 35 feet down to the water. So we're like, yeah, let's do that. We jump into the water. We swim into this cave. We're exploring. And then we notice the water's coming into the cave. We didn't think about the tide. The tide was coming in. So we're, you know, we're trying to swim out. The tide's coming in. We're fighting the tide. We get out, out of the cave. And then there's still these cliffs we couldn't climb up. We had to swim around probably three, 400 yards to get to a place where we could get ashore. But in the process, we're fighting the waves. We're, we're being physically exhausted. We didn't even think if we were to let the waves carry us into shore, we would, then we could get a hold of some of the rocks to climb, climb ashore a little bit easier. But sometimes that physical, it's not just physical, there's a spiritual piece to that. And so... That was a little humorous because I'm still standing here in front of you guys. But something, <laughs> something a little more serious 
right? The time, our, our ministry in Glen Burnie at Journey Church, Pastor Jen and I, that was a really, really hard time for us in ministry. We had a lot of lessons to learn. And I, being the stubborn person that I am, did a lot of fighting against God because the, the people, um, the, the community there, it was just, it was a very dark community. And we went up there thinking, oh, we're going to bring all the lessons we learned from churches here in this area, and we're going to implement them there. And we received a lot of pushback from people. And, and I had to stop and ask myself, I had to take the time to ask myself, <clears throat> what was God trying to teach me? What did God want me to learn from this? And it wasn't about pushing or fighting the wave and pushing my thoughts onto this place. It was more God wanted to teach me. He wanted me to learn love, loving the people, right? He wanted me to have more compassion for the people there in the church, in the community. Yeah, and he wanted me to also learn that it's... It's not always about numbers. It's not always about how many people you're filling the seats of the church with or how many baptisms or how many um, um, acceptance, you know, people accepting Christ in their lives. It's not always a number. It's more about the transformation, the heart transformation. So just like when I was in Cyprus, I didn't get to safety until I learned to work with the waves. We really weren't released from Glen Burnie until I was able to work through those struggles. And to do that, to do that, I had to learn to ask God the right question. God, what are you trying to teach me? What is it, God, that you want me to learn as I'm going through this storm, knowing that you're walking beside me? But what is that lesson? So if we can, um, we'll move on in Mark uh, chapter 4, verses 39 through 40. Yeah, we'll read that. He got up, rebuked, rebuked the, the wind, and, and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Only Jesus could do that. Why are you still afraid? Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? How many times did Jesus ask the disciples this question? I mean, we look back and we read, and it seems like over and over and over, Jesus is like, where's your faith? But if we're honest and we look in the mirror, how many times does Jesus say to us, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith, Jen? What have I brought you through to teach you? Let's go back, just in this passage, let's go back to the original instruction. It says that they, were, it, they had done ministry, and Jesus said, let's go to the other side. That's what he told the disciples he wanted to do. Let's, let's get up and let's go to the other side. So I want to settle this in our hearts so that we can face the storms a little better. God's instruction never calls us to our destruction. Amen. I'm going to say that again. God's instruction never calls us to destruction. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. 
The enemy prowls around like a lion looking for something to devour. Jesus came that we may have life and have it to the full. Not without storms, but not to destroy us. And I want to keep it real because that's what we do, right? Having faith doesn't mean denying the wind or the waves. They come, and sometimes they are brutal. Sometimes it is a fierce squall, and the water is nearly overwhelmed, and we can barely keep our head above water. We don't deny the wind and the waves. Jesus actually called them out. But in the midst of the storm, there were great lessons. In the midst of the storm, the disciples once again learned deliverance. In the midst of the wind, the disciples learned once again about Jesus' salvation. You can say, well, Pastor John, that might look nice in here when we're reading it. (laughs) Might sound nice, might look cute in your little manuscript. But how do those kind of storms work out for us in real life when we're nearly overwhelmed? This week in Guatemala, we had the chance to meet uh, a lot of different pastors, but in this particular setting, we met uh, Pastor Julio. Can you put that picture up for me, Jeremiah? Yep, there's Pastor Chris with Pastor Julian Julio. We're actually not sure. We tried to get word on that from Chris, but he is at home sick, and I couldn't remember. Fran, do you remember? I think Julian. Julian, okay. Pastor Julian, he's there with Chris. Pastor Julian and his wife, Victoria, minister at Dios de Pactos Church in Santa Clara, Guatemala. And they have a tremendous heart for ministry and a tremendous heart for the children of their community that came from their own fierce squalls. (laughs) Pastor Julian began pastoring, and in his first year, uh, he was pastoring, and they have uh, three children, and their youngest son died, got sick, and died. Can you imagine, turn your heart over to ministry and then you lose your child? And he said to us, a room full of pastors, I don't know if he'd tell this to everybody, but he told us, <laughs> like, I was ready to quit, like, how do I go on? He, he actually thought, what testimony could I ha- possibly have? Follow Jesus and I lost my, like, what testimony is that? Why would anybody want to follow Jesus? But God really encouraged his heart and Victoria's heart to keep going. And a year later, their second son died. And I'm thinking the water's about up to here. He said, I was ready to quit. I was ready to quit the church. I was ready to quit on life. I was ready to quit on everything. But God held me up. And told me to keep going. And we kept going. And he said, you know, I thought I had no testimony. He said, the reality is when I began my ministry, none of my family knew Jesus. Not my parents, not my siblings, not my cousins. None of them were believers. He said, but they saw God carry Victoria and I. They saw God carry us through the brutal storm. See, his relatives saw their faith and their belief and their trust that they would see their sons again. His family and the community saw Jesus carry them through this unthinkable tragedy with compassion and provision. His family saw that they had hope 
As it says in Thessalonians, we don't grieve like those who have no hope. They knew they would see their sons again. And with great humility, he said this to us. He said, I don't think my family, my parents and my siblings ever would have become Christians if they hadn't seen us go through this. And now they are all saved. I'm not going to stand up here and pretend that's fair. I'm not going to stand up here and pretend I understand why God couldn't do it some other way. I'm not going to stand up here and pretend that it is fair that this pastor and his wife live in a country where children under five are three and a half times more likely to die than children under five in this country. I'm not going to pretend it's fair that in Guatemala, children frequently die not of cancer, not of debilitating diseases, but of malnutrition and simple infections. But I am going to stand up here and tell you that out of this tragedy, this couple was not only strengthened, not only did their family, their entire family, who didn't believe in God, come to believe in Jesus, but they developed a tremendous compassionate heart for the children in their community. They are committed not only to a church that saves an eternal life, but to a program called Happy Tummies that saves a physical life over and over and over again. Because see, in Guatemala, the children are malnourished. Well, you need food to not be malnourished. There's often not food at the public school for them. So the, the boys especially will begin to work with their fathers in the field when they're four and five and six years old instead of going to school because that's the surest path to food. But through this program called Happy Tummies, by the way, Pastor Julian is a baker. I think it's awesome, like bread of life, bread of life. But and he <laughs> makes really good bread. He does make really good bread. He made us really good bread. It was fantastic. Because the pastors all there have to have a job that earns money to be able to preach in their church on Sundays. Yeah. But through Happy Tummies, children not only get a meal every day, a nutritious meal five days a week, they get a multivitamin every day, a doctor comes in and checks out all the children every single month. They get Bible lessons. Their families get exposed to Jesus. They have this whole transformation of their heart. They get tutoring for their actual public school classes. But see, then you have to raise the money not only to build a church, you have to raise the money to build a separate facility with a kitchen where the kids can come. Like Happy Tummies is an awesome thing, but it's hard work. But... Pastor Julian and his wife are so committed to making a difference for children because of what happened to his own, that they were like, well, we can do this. Can you put up that second picture? I want you to see this location. They began digging this location out in October. And so this will create a building that will house happy tummies. It will house a tutoring center, a library for the children. But let me tell you what kind of strength they got from their storm. In this region in Guatemala, they can't get heavy equipment up there. So the road started, the hill started down here. You see there's somebody up that's like two stories high there. Dug out from October to now by hand with a broad hoe. If you come up and look, you'll see the little striations in the side where they have hoed the dirt by hand, one pickup truck full at a time hauling the dirt out. 
to change the lives of 50 children and 50 families so that generations can be changed, so that children can have eternal life and hear life. It's not fair, but look at what God did. Look at what was birthed from the tragic storm. The sad reality is that no pain, no gain is not just a gym slogan, right? In his book, Mark Batterson says, suffering has the power to enrich your life like nothing else can. When we trust that there's a purpose, when we trust that what God calls us to won't destroy us, that instruction won't result in destruction. But how do we face those overwhelming waves? We've talked about it. We don't deny them. We don't run from them. We trust. What did God say? What did he call us to? We have faith that the God who called us has a point and a reason, and we trust that the obstacle is part of the process. I want to go back to the question Jesus asked. Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And I would say to us, church, all the time we want to muster our courage, (laughs) but it is faith, not courage, that is the cure for fear. In kissing the waves that throws us against the rock of ages, embracing it rather than drawing, embracing it rather than fighting the waves, so it draws us closer to God. Like the disciples, we don't just find deliverance. We don't just find salvation. We also find revelation. Because in the midst of the storm, we gain a deeper knowledge of who God is. Would you read with me Mark 4, 41? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Who is Jesus to you? Good question. Who is Jesus to you? I think the more we're able to answer that question, I mean, really deep down in our hearts, answer that question before the storm comes, the better better we'll be prepared to face the storm, face the waves. There's some promises that I hold on to in Scripture. God's promises. 1 Thessalonians, so you will not grieve like people who have no hope. One of my favorites is in Isaiah 43. When you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned. The flames will not consume you. I mean, how much can we just stand in that? Will not drown, will not be burned, will not be consumed. In Isaiah 55, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. So, knowing and believing this is who God is, deep down in your hearts, is that place when you're facing the storm, and it's the difference between being afraid 
and being terrified. It's the difference between being heartbroken and being hopeless. It's the difference between being devastated and being destroyed. Pastor Jen mentioned earlier, God's instruction never calls us to destruction. I don't know if you guys caught that, but it doesn't say God's instruction might never call or might not call us to destruction. It says never. God's instruction will never call us to destruction. So I think the deeper we plant those truths in our heart, the more we put them there before the storm comes up, that will better prepare us for when the storms do come up, and they will come up. So when the storm comes, don't lash out against God or the storm. Don't, be, don't say, you know, why me, God, or, or take this away, God, or don't you care, God. Reach out to God for help because he's just waiting. Ask the right question. That's what I had to learn. What are you trying to teach me? What is it, God, you want me to learn from this, from this wave or from this storm? Choose faith over fear. Most importantly, know who Jesus is. So the bottom line, to win the day, choose to kiss the wave. When we choose to kiss the wave that throws us against the rock of ages, we're strengthened. We're not destroyed by the storm. Did you pray for us? Father God, we come before you and we acknowledge, God, that you are never, ever off duty when it comes to our lives. No matter how much we feel like you might not be paying attention or we may worry that you don't see, you do see. And you are there, encouraging us, strengthening us, holding us up. And so God, for some of us, we're in the middle of a storm right now. Others were on the other side of the storm and there's a storm yet to come. But God, I ask that you would settle the truth in our hearts that you, the rock of ages, are not something that we are to be battered against and be destroyed, but you are there to strengthen us, to uphold us, to be our lifeline, that you do not call us to destruction, but you call us to life, and that when we can't understand the why, we can trust the who. We can trust you, And God, I would just ask humbly for the mustard seeds of faith of Pastor Julian and his wife, Victoria, of people in this room who have gone through unthinkable struggles and tragedies but have held on to their faith and have come out the other side stronger, built up, testifying to your faithfulness, to your glory. We can't do it on our own, God. When we fight you, when we fight the waves, we 
become exhausted and get pulled under. But when we reach out, when we let the wave carry us to you, lift us up right up onto that rock, then we know you deeper and others know you through our testimony. I'm not sure what's going on in everyone's heart this morning, but I invite us to invite Jesus in. God, reveal yourself to us just a little bit more, just a little bit deeper. If you're with us on our family online or you're with us in the room and you have never accepted Jesus as your Savior, if you have never known who Jesus is, not just as a figure of the church, not just as the focus of a holiday or two, but as your Savior, it's not hard. It's a simple, not even ask, just an acknowledgement and acceptance. But Jesus, I recognize and believe you are the Son of God who came to save me. I confess my sins and I give my life to you. And if that's you and you're not sure, we invite you to simply have that conversation with God. Father, we thank you for the lives that already confess your name. And Holy Spirit, we are grateful that you continue to pursue us as we walk towards you. Lord, we love you. We thank you. And we honor you. In Jesus' name. And the church together said, amen. Amen. Would you worship with us?